Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. We are back in Shawnee, Oklahoma at the Pottawatomie County Extension Office. Carla Smith has graciously joined me again today. We are going to talk about summer crops, our salsa garden, as she would say. Uh, Carla Smith, welcome, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Dana, for asking me to participate on this. And um, I did share a little bit uh, last time about my history kind of more professionally. My family has gardened since I was a little kid. I don't think I mentioned that earlier, but um, I grew up running down those rows barefoot and you know playing in the garden and working too. At the time, I didn't really think about it, but you know, planting and um, le- learning how to to do that as a, a child was was part of growing up. We learned from a neighbor who did back at that time. They had an organic gardening phase oh that's cool that came through i would say in the 70s (laughs) (laughs) so dating myself a little bit here but um it was really neat to learn from her and then mom and i learned to can okay um, from a neighbor uh, and the ohce program um from from then so i've really gotten to do this for a long time and i decided to go into horticulture as a study for for college and um, from working in industry and then now with extension, it, it's been a really uh, good experience. It's just something that I love to do. That's great. Yeah, I would I would agree. This is an easy podcast for me to do because I also grew up on a farm. The, everybody knows that, but they don't may not know it. Uh, I grew up on a um, we're a greenhouse and landscaping business on our farm called the Petal Patch. Um, my mom has been operating that for a little over twenty years. And so I grew up doing a truck garden in addition to doing some of the flowers and that sort of thing. And the, the business has evolved over time. But remember, you know, planting hundreds of pounds of potatoes at a time. That's kind of like the extreme on that end. But had a lot of experiences, some that worked and some didn't as far as the gardening goes. But I've always had kind of my fingers in the dirt and I enjoy that. And I'll be honest, Carla this time of year, I get really agitated sometimes. I'm like, I need to get it in the garden. And so I think that's what some other people are thinking too. They want to get those tomatoes planted, the cucumbers, but we're not quite there yet, right? So tell us a little bit about when to plant our summer crops, because this episode is all focused on maybe our more warm season vegetables, right? Absolutely. It's hard not to get spring fever when Mm -hmm. we hit these warm um, early spring days. And as we get closer, it's just hard to not jump the gun and and get in there too early. But many of our warm season crops, um, you think about your salsa garden. And the only thing in salsa that we grow that is not a warm season would be your onions. You You want to get your onions planted early, but everything else that would go into a salsa is going to be in your warmer season. So you think about your tomatoes and peppers and, and things like that. So... Um, really, we would need to wor- wait until our soil temperatures warm up for those plants to thrive. So we don't want to put our tomatoes and peppers in um, before mid-April usually. It does vary with where you are in the mm-hmm. state. Uh, and then some things like our any of our cucurbit crops, uh, talking about cucumbers and melons and watermelon, pumpkins, those kind of things. And even sweet potatoes um, would fall into that very warm season, Uh, okra as well. 
you may need to wait until, you know, towards the end of April or even early May before you plant some of those things. Okay. So like you were saying, maybe 65 degree soil temperatures is what you mentioned before, maybe. Yes. The the ideal temperature for many of our cucurbits is going to be that 65 to 75 degree soil temperature uh, for good germination. And so um, one thing that I'm, I may mention, if you are using like a black plastic mulch, um, some people will do that. It will help warm up those soil temperatures a little bit faster. It does give us a little bit of a jump on the season. And I am definitely an advocate for mulching. Mm-hmm. But think about when you're seeding your crops, don't mulch just yet. You need the sunshine on the soil Um, surface to help warm that soil and when we mulch it cools the soil so you want to hold off a little bit at least until your plants are up um, and even a couple of weeks will be very helpful uh, for those seeds to get off to a good start but when we wait for the soil temperature to be warm enough you can direct seed almost all of our warm season plants Um, Tomatoes and peppers would be the exception. Mm -hmm. We we transplant those. But many of our our squash and green beans and those kind of things, if you direct seed them in the garden when the soil temperature is warm enough, many of those will be up within a week. Yeah, and I think from my experience, they do a lot better just direct planted um, rather than a transplant. Um, I mean, but we have to say they are offered throughout all the retail locations. You can get squash and cucumbers and transplants, but I would agree with you. They, they come up a lot better. The budgeting side of gardening too, anytime you can direct seed, it's usually going to cost less. So um, if you only need a couple of plants, a transplant might be a better option, but many of our seeds um, are going to do so much better just Um, direct seeded you don't have that transplant shock they just Mm -hmm. automatically root into the soil and and are ready to go yeah very good point and i want to mention oklahoma mesonet is a great website for checking soil temperature around the state so it may not have it right on your location but it gives you a general kind of idea of what the soil temperatures are looking like in quite a i don't remember how many locations they have across the state but quite a few at least one per county and so it gives you an idea yes at least one per county and here in shawnee our mesonet site is just within a couple of miles of our office here so it's very accurate for our 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 garden on site here at the mm-hmm. office, but you can use the, the closest mesonet site to your location. So people in Southern Pottawatomie County, they might use um, Seminole or Kanawha okay. uh, as far as uh, locally here, but on the map on the mesonet site, you can pick your closest location. Yeah. So if you don't, you don't want to go out and stick a thermometer in the soil yeah. or anything, they have different levels of where, where it is, but uh, in general, that's a really good resource. So, Carla, we've mentioned a little bit about what some of the summer vegetables, so we, the, the cucumbers, the tomatoes, the peppers, they need to wait. Really, the best thing we do is is wait until those temperatures are warm enough, right? So if we're thinking about, like, right now we're planning, do we need to think about some rotation with some of these types of vegetables, these these summer vegetables? So when we look at the the warm season um, time frame, we can actually, um, I mean, planning is absolutely something you can do anywhere from Christmas to up until just a couple of weeks or a week before planting. 
if there's something very specific variety wise that you want to get, you'll want to think a little bit earlier, but, um, it's ideal not to plant the same thing in the same location. Mm -hmm. It's really easy as creatures of habit to say, Oh, the tomatoes did great in the Northwest corner and, and plant them there again. But when we can switch the location of where we plant things in the garden, it helps from a fertility standpoint, as well as insect and disease problems. So if you happen to have a small garden, um, sometimes that's a challenge, but you may be able to rotate even to um, pots or containers to help make that rotation work a little bit better. Yeah, I will say that I have a little bit of an issue with the rotation because of the small small beds I have, but I do try to keep in mind, you know, where have these tomatoes been? Where can we kind of move them around? So when we're talking about rotation of certain types of vegetables, so do tomatoes, peppers, and cucumbers all fall in the same group that we need to not place them in the same places? Or, or does it just mean like, just move tomatoes, you know, to each variety or not variety, each type of plant around? What it I know that's kind of a confusing question, Carla, but... That's a great question, and there's a couple of different ways people look at that. Some people look at the uh, rotation from the standpoint of what part of the vegetable that you eat. Okay. So they can kind of group their families. It's not a true plant family distinction, but if it's a leafy green, or if it's a root crop, or if it's a legume, which would be like your beans and peas... Or if it's a fruit, which would be like your tomato, eggplant, peppers, and those kind of things. Okay. So they kind of group them by the type or part of the plant, basically, that you eat. And that's better than nothing, but some of those still overlap a little bit. Uh So um, there's actually a fact sheet from University of Wisconsin that I use a lot on crop rotation that has a really good list, and I can send you that link okay, um, to we'll share. Okay, we'll include that in the, in the show notes, because I think that would be valuable, at least for me, thinking about that, because um, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of envision that sometimes. So, all right, so yeah, I have a smaller garden. I do try to rotate to pots. Just very quickly, in Oklahoma, we have some issue with planting pots they need a little bit more care as far as watering right because it gets so hot i've run into that maybe maybe that's just my problem carla is that a problem across the board or it can be um so for containers if we're thinking about growing vegetables there are so many different things you can grow in containers if you think about the size of the plant and kind of scale your container to what you're growing so things like lettuce and spinach and even radishes and beets and turnips don't take a lot of depth. Mm -hmm. So you can grow those in a smaller container and do just fine. If you think about things like sugar snap peas or pole beans, you can actually take a tomato cage and use that for your trellis if you don't have anything oh, that's else. That's a great idea. You can invert it and make it more of a, a triangle shape if you wish okay. um, and do it that way. Or you can just leave the rings uh, vertical up, upright and mm-hmm. that works too. So sometimes you just have to get creative with what you have available. But things that are going to get larger like tomatoes and peppers, obviously you probably wouldn't grow pumpkin or oh, you know gosh, yeah. sweet potato mm-hmm. in, in a small container. So size your container to the vegetable that you're wanting to grow and maybe look for compact or bush varieties that would do better in a container as well. Yeah, we've, we just, before we started recording, we talked about some of those smaller tomatoes that really 
really like micro plants. And there are some of those neat varieties out there these days that, like you said, put on quite a bit of fruit for the size of the plant. So that might be something to consider for those people who have either small gardens like myself or a patio garden or something. I've had a lot of luck with the fabric pots and I won't put any brand names out there, but I've really liked those. They do something called root pruning or something like that. I don't know if that's like a, a you know, a good thing, but a little, the plants do a little bit better in those compared to like a, just a big plastic pot. The uh, fabric pots do very well and they have really good air exchange. So when we think about growing, we think about water and soil, but we don't necessarily always plan for that air factor. Mm -hmm. And so it really does help some of our varieties to thrive when they have good air exchange as well as the, the soil and water. Okay. All right, Carla, this is the big part of what I want to talk about today. How do we make our vegetable gardens more productive? And I think you've done some education on this for, for many years. I recently done some reading about pollinators, you know, and this is kind of a thing these days. And I always thought maybe it was just what I just said, a thing. It's like a fad. But I had some excellent um, results with planting flowers in amongst my vegetables or planting more pollinator type plants to attract the pollinators to my vegetable garden. So tell us a little bit about kind of what you found and then we'll kind of get into, you know, how we do it, what the plants we should use and that sort of thing. Anytime we're doing a vegetable garden and we can attract pollinators, that is going to help um, with our production quite a lot. We've done a 4-H garden project the last three years with our office and one year we very focused a lot on pollinators, but every year we have offered some kind of a blooming plant with their vegetables. And being able to watch that process and how much it affected their production and their um, the pollinators activity in the garden really has been amazing to watch. So anytime we can plant something that will help attract those bees and butterflies to the garden and, and it's not hard to do, but it really does make a big impact when we can do that. Are all vegetables impacted by pollinators? Do you need some pollination with all vegetables? Are there or are there some that does that it doesn't really matter? Or kind of how do we divide that out? That's a really good conversation because some of our vegetables are poorly asked question, Carla. No, no, you're, <laughs> you're, that's absolutely a good question, and it depends on the variety. And it depends on if it's open pollinated or if it needs a pollinator variety with it. Some of our corn need that cross pollination in order to perform very well. Like two rows of corn, at least two rows, right? At least, <laughs> yes. So, and it's better even on corn um, if it's not just one long row. Mm -hmm. That's actually usually wind pollinated. Okay. So if you plant them in a block, versus a long row, you'll get better pollination just because of the location that where you mm -hmm. actually plant that. That makes sense. So there are many conversations with that. And some people don't think about plants having male and female flowers, but they do. And especially like for squash. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. So the pollinators help us with that because they will fly from flower to flower and, and help that process. Okay. Yeah, that's experience I'd had um, for years after moving to Oklahoma and living in town. Between the squash bugs 
I thought it was just squash bugs, but really I think what impacted the most, we never got any fruit and I don't think we had pollinators. And so last year we had more fruiting on all my vegetables. So when we talk about pollinators, what, what are those things? You've mentioned a little bit. So is it just bees or are we talking about other insects too? We have so many insects that and help. birds, right? Yes. Okay. Right. Yes. There are many, many that help us with that pollination process. And there are a lot of native bees. Um, when we think about bees, a lot of times we think about honeybees, which are actually introduced. But our honeybees, many bumblebees, and native bees, ground bees, there are many, many species that help us with pollination. There are actually flies that will come to flowers for the nectar and sometimes they will help in that pollination process. We look at all the different kinds of butterflies. Now, when we talk about some of these, they may actually also be a pest in the garden as well as a pollinator. So some things like a, a tomato hornworm, you know, that does morph into a, a butterfly or a moth mm -hmm. actually. And so, you know, it is a pollinator, but yet it's also one we want to kind of monitor and control mm -hmm. a little bit. So when we do plan for pollinators in the garden, sometimes we have to plan a, plan a few extra uh, or uh, plan for a little bit of loss uh, from our um, harmful insects, but then know what's beneficial and know how to attract those as well. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with gardening, especially backyard gardening and in, in an even larger scale, you have to expect some of it. You're not going to completely control all those things. And I think, you know, sometimes some of letting nature take its course, often it's interesting how that really works for you. If you have that patience to do that rather than a chemical and, and attracting some of those things to the, the garden, do they attract maybe birds and stuff that might control some of your worms and that sort of thing? I don't know. Learning how to manage what you can of that mm -hmm. conversation and then a lot of diversity in the garden helps bring in both the beneficial and the, the predators. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times that there is a natural balance when it works right. If it gets out of balance, then sometimes <laughs> that's where we have to come in and take some kind of measures yeah. or do some type of protection. Of, of course, in the vegetable garden, we're growing it for us, not for the insects or the you know right. birds <laughs> is our target. And occasionally that gets a little bit messed up and, and we have to intervene a little bit. But mm -hmm. it's good to uh, be able to manage that conversation to, uh, to our benefit. So what are some of these flowers that we've been talking about? What are the key flowers that are good for attracting some of those good pollinator insects? A lot of our perennials in Oklahoma do a great job with attracting those pollinators, the bees and butterflies, but, and that gets into a little bit more planning and investment maybe, but annuals like zinnias and sunflowers are also really easy to plant. If you're planting your vegetable garden and you don't have enough seed to finish a row, that's a really good place to put in some zinnias. Um, sunflowers do get tall, mm -hmm. um, you know, so you want to kind of strategically plant those where they're not shading something else in the garden. Or maybe if you're finishing out a row of okra, you know, sunflowers are the same, similar height, uh -huh. and, and that works really well. Uh, along the border of a garden is also a, a great place to have pollinators. And even like we mentioned containers a little bit earlier to help attract uh, those bees and butterflies to the garden are also a, a very easy way to do that. The color of them a lot of times is what's attractive. And so it's 
nice for us to have those flowers to enjoy as well. There are many plants that are going to uh, have those high nectar nectaries in the flower that are going to be good to attract the pollinators. And I like to look for some of those types of flowers that maybe will bloom different times or you can plant them at different times to keep that um, flowering happening. You know, if you plant all your your zinnias and your sunflowers all at the same time, sometimes they all bloom at the same time and they're all done. But uh, it seems like the zinnias keep going, but it seems like um, that can happen sometimes. And so that's a challenge in my opinion, but to think about that kind of helps. That brings on a great conversation too. When you're planting your vegetables, how much lettuce can you eat in a week? Right. Uh, and staggering your vegetable plantings may be helpful as well so that all of your crop is not ready to harvest or ready to eat uh, at the same time. On the other side of that, if you are planning to can or freeze, you want enough to be ready at one time so that you're not constantly going through that process. Oh yeah, who wants to constantly can for <laughs> four months, right? Not me. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy canning, but if I'm making salsa, I'd rather make a bigger right. batch, make the mess in the kitchen you know, less often, but have a big batch to work with. So that's a good part of that conversation too. So staggering our pollinator plantings and our vegetable plantings so that we have that season long mm -hmm. um, or depending on what your purpose is for that. Right. If you happen to teach school and you need that, that harvest to be completed before the school year starts in the fall, you know, you may want to not continually replant so that you'll be completely wrapped up. Yeah. I know when I was a kid and we would, my mom would laugh that no matter when we planted green beans, we would be canning when it was vacation Bible school week. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so it just never failed. Um, the church would decide to do vacation Bible school at different times, but it was always when green beans oh were ready. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm sure your mom was great about teaching too. So you had to teach and can and plan and all the things all at the same time. That's It's funny how that happens. Sometimes. It was a busy week. <laughs> so this has been an excellent conversation, Carla. We could talk so long about some of these topics. Just remember, listeners, that you can get gardening information at each of our county extension offices across the state. Some people have more experience than others in horticulture, but I think we all work together really well as a team. If, if educators have questions, they can call Carla or any of our extension educators with a little bit more experience. Carla, thanks so much for joining me um, for this series. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. And I think I learned a little bit. I've got some plans to change maybe for my upcoming garden. But uh, best wishes on your gardens this this spring and summer. We hope for some rain over the next bit of spring here to get everything off to the right start. So thank you for joining us and we'll catch you next time.